Welcome in and welcome back to the 2022 PGA Championship edition of the Major Report. Thank you for stopping by. I've got three big segments lined up. Before you do that, if you enjoy this at all whatsoever, make sure to hop over to the YouTube page, subscribe to the channel, give me a big thumbs up. We'll keep this thing going. A little bit of a different format this time around than what we did on the Masters. We're going to kind of slow the pace down a little bit, not rush through things so much, really dive in a little bit deeper with the guests. And I have three exciting ones lined up for tonight. Actually, four. So starting off, we're going to talk to Jeff Feinberg about the top of the odds boards. Then we're going to shoot it over to Rob, who's going to take us through the DFS first look. Pricing is out. Debates have begun on projection. He's going to help walk us through all of that. And finally, we're going to tee up Boston Capper and Steve Shermer of the Golf Gambling Podcast to have an epic battle on a player spotlight, uh, what they do best, and some of the stuff that's most exciting about them. Without further ado, let's get right into it. Cue Jeff Feinberg and the favorites. Here we go. Let's go. Let's gamble. It's time to talk the favorites. I brought one of my good friends, a recurring guest to the major report on to talk about it with me. First, let's talk a little fantasy points. This segment is brought to you by the fantasy points media group. Preferred lines is a proud member of that conglomerate of great podcasts and live stream shows. Um, they have a great new PGA content team over there that is putting out quality stuff. You can get 10% off your monthly subscription using the promo code lines 22 brought to you by fantasy points. Thank you to them. Now, without further ado, I can't wait to get to the top of the odds board here for Southern Hills, the 2022 PGA championship with me to break it all down. The one, the only, the infamous recurring guest to the major report. Welcome to the show. Jeff Feinberg. What up, man? Happy to be back, Joe. Happy we're through this malaise of post-Masters events and get the summer rolling with the uh, PGA Championship. God, it feels good to have a golf course coming up that's really going to challenge these guys, and we really get them excited about it. We get a great field, possibly the deepest field that we're going to see all year in the majors from top to bottom. And what I've seen the last two years, Jeff, I think the PGA Championship has been the most exciting. When you go back over there to San Francisco, you look at last year, what happened to Kiowa. Kerry Haig and his team have done a great job of setting this thing up year after year, and I'm fired up about it. What about you? Yeah, I mean, especially nothing has helped the PGA even more than the switch, where it sort of wasn't after all the majors that you assume kids hit 10-foot, pretend to hit 10-foot putts on to win. You know, Um so it's kind of lost that stigma, like all the big championships are over. Not to knock it, but I'm going to come full circle here, Joe, because I've eaten my words almost since I started doing golf podcasting. The PGA Championship, um, I think, has grown, at least in my opinion, exponentially. I feel like that's a silly thing to say. as a major championship. But I just love the courses they continue um, to go to. They're not snobby or beholden to places some of them fantastic like the u.s open is they really do um take us to, to the whole lineup of courses that we've been to in the last handful of years that we're going to the date change i've really fallen in love with this championship more so than than i had previously yeah harding park 
Beth Page, Kiowa Island. They're on a great run. They aren't afraid to go to a Joe Public track and te- and have the best in the world teed up. Ever since they cut that promo with Rick Lair, the PGA yeah. has really stepped their game up. Yeah, that's you know, yeah, that's the best. That's that still the best golf intro ever. When what TNT TBS formerly had the PGA Championship Quail Quail Hollow. Ironically, I think Jimmy Walker actually binked uh um that one if my memory serves me right but if you've never seen it just go youtube rick flair pga championship intro it'll get you fired up for this week and it's almost be like a recap of how um you know how far some of those bigger names have fallen since the players faces that i guess would be profiled in that sucker yeah all right i'm ready let's get to this board at the top this may be the first time in a big field he's really been at the top. I forget where the Masters numbers were. You got Scotty Scheffler at 11 to 1, and you got John Rahm at 12 to 1. What's like, got a take on either one of those two guys there for me? Well, I picked Rahm to win this event, not a bet, and just sort of outlying the year of majors when it started. I picked Xander to win the Masters. So let's not go by what Feinberg said at Christmas. Um, so I, you know, gun to my head, I think the win for Rom serves him, you know, even if it was like a B minus game serves him incredibly well, there's nothing I'm going to say to your audience about sort of any of the players we're going to discuss. These are all the, you know, super elites in the little group after, but I'm, I'm very much Rom would be my pick here. That being said, Joe much more than the Masters. This would be a big win, I think, in our little ecosystem. There are so many people with Scotty Scheffler, 40-1 to 1 PGA Championship tickets. If you were making future bets, you were probably so much more likely. If Scotty was your guy, you're bullish on Scotty, you are saying Scotty is going to not only get over the hump and win something like Phoenix or API, he's going to win it all. You would have picked the PGA Championship over the Masters. At least like eight out of ten of us probably would have checked that box. Like, what's the most likely place? The Southern Hills. He's been vocal. It's his favorite course ever. I don't. It doesn't seem that familiar with the redesign. Seems like every Big Twelve golfer loves this place. So, yeah, the forty to ones that that were there. Um, you know, that would be a a quite a quite a scene that I certainly won't be a part of on the interwebs if Scotty. Um, pulls this off but out of these two not going to teach anyone they don't know about either of them I, I'm still so beholden to Rom so I actually would lean Rom yeah he's the better player I think so too and the thing is though Jeff like I looked at Scotty I'm immediately like there's no way at 11 to 1 right and then I start to look at the course I'm like okay accuracy times distance off the tee approach play I think short game really matters who's got a hot putter and everything just comes up Scotty Scheffler and I'm, but but part of me is like, is this guy really going to win four out of eight golf tournaments that he puts a peg in the ground? Just seems like a tall, tall ass. And golf is so random, and things just got to be like five. Joe, stretch. he's already won four. Oh, he's going for five. Maybe his second major. Like I love right, Scotty. Right. I, I I I drafted him in like that experts league in the second round. Where at the time it was like. It was a decision, and, and people even gave me a hard time for it. But I, I am not. I can't. I can't wrap my head around five wins, two majors. So. Yeah, two guys right under there, Jeff. Doesn't feel like I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but we're a couple days away from PGA Championship week. Just doesn't feel like anyone's going to bet these numbers. So maybe we see a little bit of bump in these guys. 
14 to 1 on Rory, 16 to 1 on Colin Morikawa. He just doesn't feel like their name's going to come up a lot. Am I wrong there? Do you see signs out of either one of them that would lead you to believe there's a little bit of value in that number? Yeah, and I'm still hoping for a bit of a more significant reset, Joe. Mm -hmm. The field is, I mean, this isn't the Masters, right? We talk about the Masters, how it's such a finite, you know, pocket in terms of guys that can actually win. This doesn't um, feel like that to a certain extent. Well, I still, you know, I film on last year. I still feel like we're in a goddamn Truman show. You know, the fact that that, that happened on, on that golf course, but I'm going to assume that that's the outlier, at least from the odds perspective and PGA championship winner. So I'm still hoping for an out, um, a bit of a readjust here. There can't be this many guys under 20 to one to win the PGA championship. I was hoping the odds, honestly, maybe I'm the silly one that we'd see a board that could look more like sawgrass where the field, where they recognize, I mean, the field strength is probably nearly identical. The, history of the event has shown an ability for guys to uh at least comparatively to the other majors and fields like that like we've seen guys sort of come from the um farther end of the odds board and pack and i don't want to say just you know pop for a weekend but yeah for lack of a better way of 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 explaining it and that doesn't seem to be the case yet so i am still waiting for that I don't know. I, I don't really see myself betting Rory. He's got those two second places. I, I am a big Rory fan. It's hard to make, like, what to know what to make of it. He's getting confidence from it, so that's really all that matters, I guess. And the way he's finishing those events, he's just got confidence, and it's King heading into a big event. Morikawa, you could feel threatened by the short game, Joe, but yeah. here's the thing. Last time I saw this guy, Chip, and I know it's just what's on TV, I guess, but it was that hole out to match Rory at the Masters. And then at the Zurich, it seemed like he was outstanding. Or at least he pulled off some, like, 12 out of 10 chips that were, like, dropping in the cup or right beside the cup. So it definitely seems like um, that is kind of coming around. I don't know, like, long-term statistically how that would even show. And... You know, to be honest, statistically, even with the the Zurich, I don't even know if there's real stats that you could pull to see how well he chipped that week. But to the naked eye, it certainly seemed like um, that was that has been the case. I'm still probably waiting to go farther back the board to make a bet, though. Yeah, the one guy actually I did see a little bit of bump on is 16 to one on DraftKings Sportsbook. Now we're recording this on. Friday before the weekend um, as they wrap things up there at the Byron Nelson. But I saw a two-point bump here. was 14-1, to now 16-1. to You mentioned the stats. Like, they're just screaming this guy's name, and somehow he's popping everywhere and hasn't really been able to trans uh, transfer that into a victory. And and I wonder if if part of that, what, what to really make of that, but a 16 to one feels like a decent number on Justin Thomas. It seems to have all parts of his game really clicking right now. I haven't bet it yet. Any consideration out of you there? Of the guys that I consider, now this is like a compliment with a backhanded insult, but all the guys that I consider like the true super elites, not like elite, not like very good, the super, super uh, elites of the game at the current uh, moment I just have a hard time trusting him hmm. out of all of them. That being said, 
when he if he is lifting that Wanamaker Sunday, it feels like no other player likes season long resume outside of outside of Scheffler, you know, but like will feel like he is trending to this moment more so than JT. Because the stats just back it up week after week. The finishes back it up week after week. Um, you know, we're seeing some competition in the marketplace. Bet365, at least as we're recording, has put a number out on Justin with their um, bet boost, which those are really attractive. Like, as we talk about these top guys, Joe, that that's like, it's almost like a 16 to a 24, uh, a 25. It's, it's like a 33% bump. That's 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 wild yeah like so if those are your guys um or you just want to wait to see who they boost out there and it's almost like i'm hesitant to bet a guy who i like because i'm like but there's like bet 365 can boost this guy and you can feel feel silly or you're waiting for the reset but it's not going to get any better than that for justin thomas um yeah i i don't know of all the guys i just I don't know. Maybe it's like the putter. I guess that's like the easy out. But of all the really the super elites, I just sometimes have a hard time trusting trusting him. The I, I, yeah, I trust him the least out of all those guys. To be perfectly honest, that being yeah, those- said, a big weekend in Texas I think would be huge for him. Like just to even feel those big moments again. Like have a pressure nine footer. Like, I don't even care if it's for the Byron Nelson. I don't even care if it's because you're out early and it's to set a score. But just, like, have a couple really big putts on on, um, on the weekend at the Byron Nelson make them. And I'm silly enough to think the smallest thing like that can do wonders for a guy like Justin. Here's a couple of guys I'm interested in hearing your take on. And you mentioned the Byron Nelson, and you're hoping to see some signs of life. The it's we're in this weird stretch from the masters where we had Mexico that nobody really wanted to go to. We had the team event. Then we've got, it's just like, it hasn't been real attractive to some of these big names. We haven't seen them a lot. So I'm looking to the Byron Nelson to try to grab some stuff from DJ and Xander. So DJ's 20 to one right now. I bet three, six, five Xander. You can get a 29 on over at DraftKings Sportsbook. They, they both perplexed me. DJ started out so good, it's just been ups and downs. Xander was like, I was getting ready to come on here and record with you and trash him and say he's the only guy in here that's nobody's playing worse, minus 30 to 1 than Xander right now. And then he rattles off like eight birdies in his last 13 holes. Still missed the cut, but at least some signs of life. And he struck his irons really well late. Are you pulling much from this event this week, or is it a total going to be a total reset mode? And do you see anything on either one of these two players that you think may be bettable? That Xander number, I mean, I swear to you, Joe, I think I've seen 40s out there. <laughs> like on books that have done like the most significant resets at the moment. Maybe they would need to, you know, and Xander made the cut on the number. Oh, did, did minus five get in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Listen, I know you were in a, uh, in a scramble today. So you, you've had a few, I just got out of the pool, but I'm pretty sure he made the cut fives. It does seem like held as we're recording and okay. like a 99%. Um, percent. And he did birdie at what is apparently eight of his final uh, 12 or 13 holes to your point to do that 
wouldn't be shocked to see him have a nice um I know, right? weekend again. Xander, as all his biggest fans know, like he loves to play around and tinker. Like he is a constant tinker, especially before big events. I feel like right before a major last year, he switched the putting um grip and all that. Or he went to the uh oh. Did like the whole new uh, putting approach. Anyhow, yes. he even joked, he even said he plays practice rounds with Scotty. He's like, uh, before the Byron Nelson and asking him if he played before the major. And Scotty didn't play before the Masters. And Xander's like, what are you doing here? He's like, I don't know. I just, you know, it's Texas. I wanted to play. And then Scotty kind of threw the same question at Xander's like, nothing I do works. Like, I've tried everything. And apparently they both had a nice laugh about it i could i i'm a xander fan and i bet guys that don't win tournaments um and if xander somehow crosses if he has a nice weekend and there's 35s and i'm expecting there to be there to i'm expecting those to be there uh joe i really am he puts himself right into that range where we're not i'm not you have to do him on a different show but there's that sweet spot, like 30 to 50 to range with guys yeah. who have never won majors. Where that's a great number to catch first time major winners that I would love for him to fall into. Um, no problem. And I, I forget who else you mentioned. I apologize. Uh, DJ. DJ's kind of been up and down this whole thing this week. Yeah. Um, really interesting with, with DJ. He obviously played the week out of the Masters for the RBC. Yes, it was a sponsor. I was, he had his wedding the week after. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wish I knew that because what people were saying is just going to show up and miss the cut. Uh, that's kind of what did happen the week before his wedding at the sponsor. Yeah. And as DJ does, we know DJ to do, DJ doesn't just like have his wedding. Like DJ parties hard. She's posting thirst trap pictures. Like they probably are having a great time. Like that's just the reality of the situation. And I promise you, He's come back and won big tournaments after having a great time before because that's just oh, yeah. what he does. He's a great time that much. I'm certain of it. Um, so it was nice to see him at the Byron, just like revving the engine. And if yeah. you're seeing like what you want to see from DJ, I think you're allowed to say, okay, just get the doubles because there have been some sloppiness at the Byron. Uh, he hasn't been able to like ride the momentum. There have been a lot of bogeys. There was even a, a back nine card on Thursday that didn't have a single par on it. And while that's like good, it's also just shows um, a volatility that maybe you kind of don't want for a major championship where you're not going to be able to get out of trouble nearly as, uh, as easily. But if he's a guy you want to back, like part of this game, Joe, is like to find reasons you want to back a guy or don't want to back a guy. Yeah. As Mayo often says... So often, most of it is actually finding reasons to not bet a guy to land on four to six, seven that you do want to bet. Like the majority of the process is, is you know, getting rid of the guys you, you don't mm -hmm. want and making up whatever, you know, works for you in your head. And if I was a DJ stand, which I am, but if I was ready to pull the trigger, it's easy for me to ignore the sloppiness of this week in just being his first start back and. Yeah, just rev that. At, like, just a couple engine revs before we, you know, zoom off. And uh, he wins his PGA Championship. He's right in that, which I think is very plausible because all U.S. Opens and PGA Championships are in the DJ wheelhouse. 
maybe we should already be having it, but the career grand slam like comes right into focus for him. So I would love to see that. Like, I'd love to see that. That'd be super, super fun. Okay. That's a perfect segue into two guys. These are the two guys that I bet Jeff, and I want your opinion on both of them. I have these tickets, one on Patrick Cantlay from a couple of weeks ago. I got a 26 to one. And then I took 23 to one yesterday Speaking of Grand Slams, I made a, tried to make a coy little Twitter joke on, on Twitter about uh, the bases being loaded and Jamie Moyer on the mound, and this is his time. I don't know, man. I think this may set up as well as the PGA Championship and the ability to, to capture that Grand Slam is going to for Jordan Spieth. I think this place is perfect for him. He's gained on approach in seven straight events. We'll likely see that be an eighth this week at the Byron Nelson. The putter's been killing him, and that worries me a little bit. But what's much wor more worrisome to me is when he's ball striking it bad. And he was in the stretch before these previous eight events where he lost in six out of seven. So he's flipped the irons around, which leads me to believe that he'll be able to get to some of these smaller targets on the greens. And I have to believe... He's going to putt better. If you would have told me he lost two and a half strokes putting at the RBC Heritage, I would have told you he missed the cut. Um, he won. So and he, he's just got this thing, dude, where things go his way and he makes, makes shit happen. And Cantlay is kind of the opposite. Cantlay is the stoic terror and clutch performer and just going to be absolutely technical and surgical out there. In speeds, it's going to be cringeworthy for 72 holes. But I have a feeling that they're both going to be around the top come the end of Sunday afternoon. A stance on either one of those guys? Okay. Well, I'm going to make a uh, an analogy. For PGA Championships, Joe, mm -hmm. much like U.S. Opens, like I feel like you know, you've got to be long and straight. And if you're not, you're just going to get got. There's kind of one caveat to that, and that is – you're a magic man. So that allows. Listen, they're at the Byron Nelson. That's like going to McDonald's. Okay. Even your David Skins can afford to have lunch. Everybody's got a chance. Everyone can afford to eat. We go somewhere else. It gets a little tighter. I don't know. It's in an eatery, Cheesecake Factory. Okay. It's lines of banks. It's going to take an hour to get in. A lot of people can afford to eat there. And as you go up, like, to me, like, you just the amount of people that can get into this place, uh, like majors, it's just a very small window. Like the people going to Michelin star restaurants, like those are the guys that I'm looking at. That being said, Jordan Speed like has this pass where it doesn't look like the other guys, and he shouldn't be able to afford to get in, but he's got a booth in the back. I love it. No, I, but and Cam Smith, like you've got to. If they have this magic ability, like when Patrick Reed is on, you just have to kind of respect that they are, they can fight in the fight, even though they shouldn't be able to. And everything I've looked at, and even speaking to you, who's, you know, really gone into it scrambling, it's going to be um, of utmost importance, like it always is in a major championship. But it's, they're going to ask everything of these guys, and you're going to have to have those shots. Jordan's got them all, so there's that. So I'm not betting it. Like, I'm going to bet on guys who have never won majors that I'm asking to win one, and this Jordan Spieth Grand Slam is going to happen, and whatever. You were never going to be there at a not, major. But I love Cantley. 
I love Canada. Yes, here we outside go. Of, outside of, of Scotty Scheffler, you can make the case that Patrick Cantley is the best golfer on the planet at this moment. I'm here on Cantley. I've bet him at 25 to 1 to win this week. Outside of that blip, you just look at the Cantley body of work in totality. Even if you want to break it down into small samples, there's just one ugly spot. Like players, like right right around there, he just lost it. That's okay. And and we found it again. You could discredit the team win. It is what it is, but it's a win. Phil, went off a, Phil won off a senior tour win. Yeah. So winning just matters. And if you look at the stats, the long-term trends, You've got to you've got to land something, even for the European. Like you can even want to give credit to a European win if you want. In the same way, I'll give credit to John Rahm for for scoring Mexico, even if you don't want. Like it just matters, just matters. So I think it matters. Um, but the 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 bent grass I think works for Cantley. Mm-hmm. There's just so many things. So I'm very much here for for Patrick Cantley this week um, to to pay off what happened like the playoff losses the second places like outside of i don't want to say like he could have had a regular not including the masters but he could have had a few of these things and we'd be talking about him much like scheffler you know having three wins not being the major so that's four but just having a small handful of wins just in that season alone this season off yeah. the, the fedex cup so yeah, can't leave for me. Can't leave for me. To, to kind of hop on your analogy there and just to press you a little bit, even though I'm on can't lay, but I just want to hear your response on it. Um, can't lay goes to Outback Steakhouse. He's the man. He's picking up everybody's tab. He's winning the events, but he shows up on Palm Beach Island to the meat market in a major championship. And something about it, Jeff, he's just been uncomfortable. When the scoring conditions get tough, he just has kind of sucked in majors lately. Is there... Is that just a random occurrence? Is there anything really to that? Or is it just a, a fancy narrative that's going to talk people off of him? It's I'm it's weird. I am just, I'm willing to ride his body of work at the moment and his reliability. And there's been one major since he became this, this player. And you think like, oh, I bet Cantley, I should be very, Hyper specific on knowing what he did at at the um, Masters, where he sucked again, right? Yeah, I don't. I, I it hasn't. Um, all of his major performances have not been good. Let me see here what he did for the Masters. I just had it up. Thirty ninth. Yeah. Okay. I actually thought like he was going to miss the cut. I feel like he kind of battled there. I could be totally wrong, but I didn't bet him. I probably did bet him. I don't know. I bet him a lot too, Joe. Yeah. You can't even take what I got to say, but. Now that I'm looking at it, probably saying that this pocket of players isn't right. Like John Rahm is my favorite, like guy. If I'm picking like a super guy under 15 to one to win this thing. In that next okay. tier of players that's going to be between 20, 28 to 1, Patrick Cantley is my pick. He's my pick. Does Cam Smith belong in this range at 22 to 1? He keeps showing that he does. But my problem is, like, as great as he is, I would bet Patrick Cantley to win this event. I'd probably even bet Speed to win this event ahead of Cam Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 
What about Victor? Does the does the everyone had this thing where no one was going to take him at the Masters because the short game was so bad? And I was kind of against that, and I was wrong. The short game is really what killed him um, at the Masters, and has it has been his sort of bugaboo. And a lot of these majors that uh, are the greens and regulation percentage goes down. I think that the widening of the fairways that they did here actually doesn't play into Victor's hands because I think that his biggest asset is he crushes it and he hits it straight. So anytime you narrow the course and driving becomes more and more of a favorable asset to have, I think that increases his chances. He's at a decent number here. Obviously, you got the Oklahoma narratives. I think everyone sort of penciled him in to compete here early in the year. Any thoughts on Vic? I love Vic. I'm as big of a stand for him as just about anybody. Uh, I mentioned that JT bet boost. They've got him at 33 to 1 over at Bet365 right now. Joe, have been like, it's not, I still don't run to make that bet. Like, there's just a lot to think about. But I guess at over 30 to 1, he fits perfectly in that, like, first time major winner between 30 and 50 to one, like there's been so many of them that consistently seemingly um, hit for us that he is almost the perfect player in, in that range. I I don't know. I'm not, but that, what, what am I trying to say right now? I feel like he's kind of not played a ton of golf lately either. Uh, we had the team event and now he kind of feels like a bit of a, forgotten entity to a certain extent um certainly not forgotten by the people who are watching this but that like super victor fanfare out of christmas for this event doesn't feel like it is there right now and i am really interested to see what the books um do with him on the total reset because i think he's probably in the end gonna end up pushing 30 to 1 for this event uh, like in that 28 range, probably once the books normalize. Last guy. Yes or no. It can be a quick take on him. 33 to one. What do we do with Brooks Kepka? No, I know. No, for me but, too. You know, it's like, no, cause Spieth has been number one in Tita green. Spieth has a win. Spieth, Spieth is like, no, just not putting well. Like, oh my God. Like it's just a matter of time before Spieth puts lights out and then, everybody's getting laughed at, you know? I just don't, I I know, it's just not there with Brooks. We got one win in three years at a place he loves in Phoenix. Obviously, these are his bread and butter. I am, it's just no. But you'll feel really silly when you try to get cocky and call a bet. Like, if you bet a Xander, or you bet a Willie Z, or you end up betting Sam Burns, like... And then Brooks Kepka cashes at the same price. You're like, you're going to feel silly. You're going to feel silly. You got to be prepared for that. Love talking favorites with you. Thank you so much, Jeff Feinberg, for coming on once again to the major report. Check him out all week. You know, you're you're going to watch the show with Pat Mayo, Mayo Media Net, um, Pat Mayo Experience. You're going to see the, the betting show that they do every week. Is Tim going to be on this week or what? Uh, we'll probably get uh, his picks. I'm not, I'm honestly not sure. But me and you, we'll be breaking down props yeah. together for Odds Checker um, later in the week as well. So I look forward to doing that. And we'll sort of 
that's usually where I'll be dropping my final thoughts uh, on the event. So these are like my first thoughts. Yes. And Joe, I'm going to share my final thoughts with you as well. We'll be back again. That'll drop Wednesday morning. This is coming out nice and early. Hopefully uh, Sunday night, we're going to get this all published up. Thanks for joining me, pal. Talk to you soon. All right, let's transition right into a DFS fantasy segment. I've got a special guest to join me. I'm going to intro him right now, Mr. Rob, Mr. DFS. I love this guy's style. I love his takes. I'm happy that he is able to be a recurring guest here on the Major Report at DFS RC Guilt on Twitter. Welcome back, Rob. What's up, dude? Not much. I appreciate well, I appreciate you having me, but appreciate those very kind affirmations. Those are wonderful to receive on a Friday morning, on a Friday fun day, but super excited to to be a part of this and really loved what she did last um, major for the Masters and excited to see which what the major reports getting cooking for the PGA Championship this upcoming week. Yeah, certainly. Before we turn to sort of pricing, um, what's your feel? I know we're, we're early here, but what's your feel on how this thing is going to play and how that may affect how you construct your lineups? Are you getting the, are you getting the sense this thing is going to be difficult or are we going to get to 15, 20 under par? Yeah, great question. I, I hope it gets difficult. It's uh, a few majors have played here already. I believe the last, if I'm not mistaken, in 2007, which actually Tiger won and finished at eight under in the cut, I believe was five over. And so it's likely because of whether it's equipment or uh, the athletic golfer these days, it's probably not going to be that challenging. But I would expect the winner maybe to be 12, 12 under with the cut, maybe two over, maybe even three over. So, you know, fair, fairly difficult, but it, I don't think it's going to play U.S. Open-like. Um, I don't think we're going to see a Zach Johnson scenario where they lose the course or anything like that. But I, I do think that good good golf's going to get rewarded, and it's not going to be something like we're seeing at C Craig Ranch this week. Yeah, I'm super excited for it. So the last two PGA championships I've thought have been the best majors of the year. So Kerry Hegg's done a great job with it. Um, we actually, I even looked to last year, Southern Hills hosted the senior PGA championship. And coincidentally, I think that may actually be beneficial to look at because mm -hmm. of the course changes that have occurred since Tiger played. That major was also won at eight under par. Only wow. seven guys finished under par for that week. I listened to something with Russ Myers, the course superintendent, and he says it's going to play. Expect something very similar this week. Now, obviously, you, you PGA Tour comes to town. You, you take one of the par fives. You make them a par four. You bump back the tees a little bit. These guys are much better. Um, but still, I think it's going to play relatively difficult. Without going further into the course, I'm going to add to the stream here um, a good friend of the show, my guy Rick Rungood. I'm, I hope he doesn't mind me bringing up his uh, inside his website here. But I just think it's a great database to kind of look at pricing and metrics. So if you're on here on the YouTube, I've got everyone pulled up now from the uh, essentially $11,000 range to the $9,000 range. What sticks out right off the bat early for you here, Rob? Yeah, well, first, I, I think I, and I'm, I've limited uh, data as relates to what other DFS players are doing. But I tend to think that, especially in talented fields, like you can make the argument that the PGA Championship is the most talented field outside of maybe the players, but definitely the majors because you don't get the amateurs, you just get the PGA teaching professionals. So it's the most talented field likely in a major. 
And what that tends to do, what I see and just people I talk with is that the player pool, whether we're making 150 lineups um, or whether we're just making five and however the, the player pool number might be, that it tends to get larger because we have so many studs in the field. We think we have to include, um, you know, all, all these guys. And so we can kind of get FOMO, especially at the top of the board, because we always put a little bit more emphasis on the majors. And when that happens, there's a little bit of pressure. And so the pressure, then we could talk ourselves in and out of so many guys. What we do with the top end is usually talk ourselves into a lot of the, the guys at this range we see on the screen from Scotty all the way down to Brooks and even a little bit below that. And so what I tend to do is, is really try to be mindful of, okay, I actually have to maybe shrink my player pool in the majors or when you have this uh, type of competitive field, because I, I'm, you know, we talk often kind of want leverage, but this is, might be a week that if I make 150 lineups, I might just want to want to lock one specific golfer in because I might imagine and just what we hear is that some people might be overexposed in their player pool. So when I look at this, uh, and again, this is Friday morning, we don't have ownership projections out, but when I look at this kind of, um, uh, you know, part of the slate, I'm really drawn to to Victor, who had a strong, and I know we're, we're Vic guys, I think we were both on yeah. him at the Masters, but uh, <clears throat> didn't perform how we well, but just gosh, it's it's hard not to like Victor, haven't seen him in, in a while, but if we look at Hovland's just last 24 rounds, he still ranks second in ball striking, fourth on approach, and second in opportunities gained. Uh, so still still right there, some of the best in the field, and I, I believe we'll get a, a big ownership discount on him, um, especially just where he's sandwiched within this kind of range. Um, what, what about you? I'm curious to uh, see what you might think or where you're kind of leaning early on a Friday uh, Yeah, with, with these top-tier guys. Yeah, so here's the thing, Rob, is this is part of the reason why I wanted to have you on because I always pull this up, and I'm not a 150 lineup guy. So I get drawn into who I think is going to play the best, and sometimes I forget about leverage and ownership um sometimes until later so what immediately sticks out to me here and i'm sure it's the same thing that's going to immediately stick out to everyone is i think probably the third you could maybe argue the fourth best player in this range is all the way down at 9100 bucks in patrick cantlay if he didn't yeah. have that little stretch through what was it like february march where he had a little bit of struggles he was unbelievable through the fall i thought that he really got things turned around in what may not show up in many um, stat models at the Zurich did get the victory asterisk. We all know the deal there, but I just think that he's so good. He's so solid. And if the course is going to play difficult, like I think it is and really reward tacticians, surgical golf players, um, guys that are really crafty around the green and clutch putters, it screams Patrick can't lay to me, but is everyone going to be thinking the same thing? I gosh, I hope not, but 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 maybe so. Unfortunately, because yeah, you mentioned the you know winning the team event, and that might even look stronger for Cantlay because as of right now, at the Byron Nelson, Xander's is struggling a little bit, looking like he um, may not make the cut. So <laughs> maybe Pat put the Xander on his back there in the Zurich. But yeah, amazing what what he did at the RBC: eight point seven strokes on approach, ten point five tee to green, and. If it wasn't for Jordan Spieth holding bunker shots, he probably wins the RBC. But I, I do think he'll be popular. And so for me, it's kind of a wait and see approach. He's probably definitely going to be in the in the player pool, no doubt about it. But 
whether he's 60% owned or 15% owned by me really just depends on, um, on what the field is doing ownership wise. Yeah. I, I don't quite recall what things, uh, the pricing at the masters, but, um, see, it just seems still striking to me. I know he's been on an unbelievable run, but to see Scotty Scheffler all the way at the top there at 11,400, um, this is going to be a bad take because I know the wins are there, but to me, John Rahm and Justin Thomas are still better players. Does anybody play Scheffler and can he keep this run going? I know that he's mentioned Southern Hills being his favorite golf course on the planet, yet he hasn't been there in a few years since the renovation. It's a high price point. It's maybe the, the idea and the narrative that can this guy really just win golf tournaments every time he sticks a peg in the ground. What are your thoughts on Scheffler all the way up there at $11,400? Yeah, I, I'm I'm torn with you too. I'm really wondering that are people going to be turned off by gosh, well he's he's won the Masters, he's won so many times here recently in the spring that that can't continue. And so I'm wondering if people are going to consider that, or are people going to say, gosh, well he's the hottest golfer right now and he's playing well so far at the Byron Nelson that gosh that's going to continue. And yeah, he's already mentioned he kind of loves the course. Um, just for a few few people where I've uh, you know got their two cents, they say that. Gosh, how does Scotty not run away with it next week? So that kind of makes me feel that he is he is going to garner a, a little ownership. But I mean, what what are what are your thoughts? I, we all we all talk about often about you want to buy the golfer at the right time and you want to sell the golfer at the right time. And what you know about golf and you're you're great and how you conceptualize things. So what what might you do? Do you feel like this is a time where okay the golf is hard and if the play this type of level at a high uh yeah level is very very difficult to be consistent in so is now a time to sell scotty or is it the time to get off or yeah time to, to still ride them i think so i think it's a time to sell and this is of okay. course going to come back to haunt me but i just look so many things have to go right that are sometimes yeah in your hands and sometimes out of your hands to win. For instance, uh, you look at the last 30 rounds here. Justin Thomas has been better off the tee. He's been better at a, on approach. Just hasn't made as many putts. And, and little things can happen that, go, that, that can totally change things up. Um, Scotty almost blew that lead to, to DJ on the back nine there down at the match play. Um, if he doesn't maybe chip that one in on what was it yeah. like the third hole there at the Masters when Cam yeah. had a little bit of a run, things could be totally different there. To me, I'm always looking at sort of a, a buy and sell perspective, just like you said it, just too high for me. When I look at the fantasy points gained here, the next guy that flies off the chart is, is what is that, almost two grand less, $1,700 less. <laughs> And Cameron Smith, and we haven't seen much of him, and he always seems to come in less popular than one might think. Um, it doesn't; it's hard to pinpoint a course fit for Cam. Although I do think that his short game is incredible, and what we know about um, Gil Hans and what he's done to this course, where he's really um, stripped away the shelving on the greens and made these runoff areas, and instead of rough. It's short grass, and what short grass mm -hmm. does is it's unpredictable, and it can roll five yards, or it can roll 45 yards back to your feet, a la like what we see a lot of around Augusta National. He's great. His hands are incredible. He's got touch. He's got moxie, and he's got a putter that can get red hot. To me, I feel like uh, if I'm buying stock, I'm looking at Cam Smith as just a guy who was this close to being on the similar run to Scotty. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I love that. And I, I will just come back to Scotty real quick that because the field is so talented, it's easier. It's never f fully easy, but it's easier to fit him in, in your lineups because of you go down right. even to a 6,800. There's still, gosh, uh, Sebastian Munoz is 6,800 and he shot a 60 yesterday. So th there's, there's talent at the bottom of this field. And so if this was a regular PGA Tour event where there's a steep drop off and, and kind of talent at the top of the board and to the bottom, it, it, it would be harder to play Scotty. And so I, I do expect him maybe then to garner some ownership, maybe around 15%. That That's a tough number. And that will take a lot of, uh, you know, kind of thinking on what to do. I much prefer Cam. I mean, if we, we look at the timeline of their um, golfing history right now, I know Scotty kind of is a little bit maybe more impressive because what he's done here lately. But I, if we kind of imagine what it might look like moving forward, you can make the argument that Cam might have the better career. Who knows? And again, people may disagree, but yeah, we, we kind of don't know. But one thing before we kind of move on, I really recommend is that try to construct your idea of what you want to do with your lineups before looking at the player pool. So many golfers, yeah. I mean, so many DFSers allow the, the board to dictate what their lineups do. And that seems like, yeah, it would make sense. But when we have a field like this that is so talented where we can talk ourselves into so many golfers, we want to have an idea first of here's my strategy that I want to have going in for my lineups, whether I'm making 150 or just five. And so, gosh, I'm going to stick to a, a very strict, you know, let's say a boundary of I'm only going to have 10 golfers in my player pool. I'm only going to have 40 golfers in my player pool and then don't adjust and however you want to allocate your percentages, do that all make those decisions before going to the board. Because if you do go to the board, it, it can kind of get uh, paralysis by analysis. So uh, that's one thing that works for me. And I've actually heard a few others that works for them. But um, yeah, it, it, if it's if you're struggling, try that. That may help. Love that. If I if I'm going to put you on the spot here for one second, give me one guy in this range you're not going to have any of, and I know we're early here and ownership may dictate this, but at this point, ownership aside, who are you got a red line through here? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be very fun to answer, uh, to not answer your question, but you know, it, 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 if Colin Morikawa is going to be 15% plus, and I know you're saying, you know, might not worry about ownership. I, I may kind of lean on not playing him. I would think this is kind of a good course fit for him. Uh, gosh, you need to keep it in the fairway. And there's, I think there's some severe dog legs in both directions. And then, you know, we know how around the green is kind of going to be so important. But I, I just worry about Colin. I know he finished fifth at the Masters, but the R RBC was a little concerning with how poorly he's putted. And outside of the Masters, he's lost strokes putting in three straight events. That's not, you know, blowing anything away because we know Colin can kind of be very streaky, put it best with the putter. Um, but I, just passing the eye test outside of earlier this year, he just doesn't look like the kind of same Colin. Again, looking at the second at the Genesis, there was chip-ins and things there. Now, if he's going to be 5% owned, that changes everything. But I'm, I'm expecting him to, to carry some ownership. And so I, he will likely be a guy I may just fade totally. But uh, if we find out Tuesday night that he's 5%, I may I gave completely <laughs> bail, bail on that idea. But well, I want to get your opinion real quick. I know we have to move, but are you hot or cold on, on Colin right now? 
I'm more cold than hot. I would say the one guy for me there is is probably Xander. And I know that the ownership um, with Hideki and Cantlay, who I, I really like both of those guys, who are right underneath of him. I can't see myself getting there and, and, and shifting there just because I feel like the gap in what I think is expected in terms of return, in terms of, I think, winning equity in this thing, no matter the ownership, I probably can't get there on Xander. But one of the things like... I feel like a lot of these contests, especially like when you look at the bigger ones for DraftKings, the Millie Maker and such, they're decided by who you take really in this 8K range. And this is yeah. where a lot of the separation, I think, exists. Um, the guys at the top are a lot more predictable in terms of outcomes generally and a lot more easy to you know, to swap DJ for more or whatever it is based on ownership here, you really got to kind of stick to your guns a little bit more. And who do you think has got a top five finish in them and can maybe contend for you? I'm going to just open this whole thing up from 8,900 to 8,000 here. What sticks out to you and where are you leaning here early, Rob? Yeah, well, really I'm doing, I'm trying to imagine what, if there's any kind of recency bias that might play. So you mentioned Xander uh, and, Shafley's struggling right now, and I'm kind of glad because I wanted to play him this event. I think he's going to be severely underowned, and could that you know come back to bite me Thursday uh, of the PGA? And he's you know three over through three. Yeah, it could, but I think we're going to get single digits. And if if that's the case, and I do kind of lean heavily on X, well then my balance, you know, I'm going to have more of a balance filled because I'm avoiding you know a large part of the top of the board. So I might have you know, a couple guys in this 8K range. And the real place you have to start is Willie Z again, because yeah. very chalky this week, not playing as well. He'll, he'll probably bounce back and finish top 20. But what you might want to do with that, again, I, I still think he'll carry some ownership. So I may not go there, but I really like Neiman and I really like Berger. Guys who can kind of have a low, low ball flight, keep it in the fairway. That'll be key. And Neiman playing well this week. I don't think he'll be too highly owned um, because you have you have Tiger right there. You have uh willie z he's kind of sandwiched in between so he just by the nature of where the ownership what we think will be falling i don't think he'll, he'll garner a ton he won't go under own but i'm really high in kind of neiman and i'm really expecting sung jay to kind of come back at at some point to the sung jay we kind of know and love we haven't seen it yet but i i, I think he will go under own and a guy that yeah this is yeah definitely of course that he could kind of do well if if he has the typical Sun Sunjay ball striking, the the big question everyone wants to talk about is Tiger, and I don't really have a thought on Tiger just yet. Do you? So I, I'll I'll toot my own horn here. I had it nailed to a T almost his Masters performance in terms of mm -hmm. exactly what I thought was going to happen for him happen. I don't know so much here, and I'm probably not going to play any of it. That said, I think there's big question marks on the two guys right above him. I. I Doubt Bryson is going to play. Sungjae yep. just tested positive for COVID over on there the Korean go. tour. I don't know if you saw that, but they will not, not let him leave, I think, within a week after testing positive, which is going to put this tournament and at least his, it, at the very least, his preparation in serious jeopardy in terms of getting back to Tulsa, Oklahoma in time. Um, Max Homa's right under there. Terrell Hatton has been on this. It seems like a very poor run for Hatton, but when you actually look at the finishes, they're not bad, and I think that he's close. Um, the big guy for me, I think, is Zalatoris, and I love, you know, 
fifth, sixth, fourth, his last three finishes. That includes the Zurich, of course, but he just on these on these courses with smaller greens that have the runoffs that make them even smaller in terms of the landing areas. When it plays difficult, I feel like that's the best setup for Willie Z. When he's not going to have to go out there and make 25, 26 birdies. When par is a pretty good score, I really like him. The question mark for me, and I don't know if this narrative really means anything to the actual player, like, are we going to see a guy break through for his first victory at a major? I mean, we, we saw the last time it happened at the PGA Championship, I look back with Sean McKeel in 2003. So it's very rare that we see a guy um, of his talent level, first of all, coming in at, at 8,900 in this type of odds pricing who hasn't won. But everything seems to be trending in the right direction for him. I'm like you. I kind of hope that he doesn't finish well this week and almost misses mm -hmm. the cut, can get there a little early, and may take his ownership down two or three points. Yeah, I agree. And the, the last thing I'll just maybe say, and it's not in this range, but it just – you know, it's staring me right in the face as we look at Willie Z, and that's the guy right above him at Brooks Kepka, who withdrew, obviously, this past week. Uh, I, I, I will go right back to, to Brooks at low will ownership. You? Yeah, very much of not. Again, yeah, like scared money don't make money. And, yeah, it could come back to bite me. He could you know, not be a good former. He could be injured, injured but it, it's just hard to pass up the, uh, the, the, the kind of thoroughbred that Brooks is, even if he's not in the best form because we do get the discount of the likely of ownership. So I, I will go to him. Uh, and so I'll just, yeah, I'd be remiss with not mentioning, mentioning Brooks on maybe a big ownership discount because of his withdrew. But I also appreciate you mentioning the Sungjae information. I didn't know that. And yeah, gosh, did that bring, if he's able to play and yeah, maybe his preparation is thrown off. Uh, but this guy, this guy, this guy's a warrior. He plays every single week. I would oh, love yeah. ownership, more ownership discount on him. See, I, I don't, I'm not, I probably lean too heavily into not caring about, um, you know, some of that stuff as much as I should. But again, I'm, my eyes are so focused on what it might do to, to ownership. So I'm, I might still play some Jay if he's able to get in the field and get healthy from COVID. It's interesting that you mentioned Brooks. Um, I, as, as you know, I'm on team Brooks. I was firmly there, like heading in what I thought was a great run up for him heading into yeah. Augusta. And he really seemed to turn things around, particularly with the driver. And that's where Brooks fills the gas tank, right? That's where mm -hmm. he gets his fuel is off the tee when he's striping it and he's hitting fairways and he picked up some distance because his balance and his strength and his body looked great. I saw him at the Honda when I was there in person and like you could tell he goes through his his fluctuations like any of us guys do in terms of, yeah. uh, you know, putting on a few. He just looks in great shape. I wonder. Right. So he's, he had the bachelor party, all that kind of stuff. He withdraws this week, hasn't played. He's normally a guy who's been very forthright in telling us I like to gear up and play a couple of weeks before a major for a tune up. I typically play my best on the second or third week in a row. Worries me a little bit of the withdrawal this week, and he's not putting great. That said, I think these greens are not going to be a huge challenge in terms of speed, in terms of um, a whole ton of undulation. They're going to be relatively straightforward, and it's going to be a ball-striking contest uh, from the most part from what I've read into it um, so far. A couple of guys at the bottom here are interesting. You got Homa, you got Hatton, you got Connors, you got Ustazen, which major question marks. Any of those guys you see any value in before we move to the 7K? You know, value is the key word. Um, 
and I, I see more value again in the ownership numbers than the the actual salary, especially with these top tier guys. So the answer is a flat no. <laughs> Maybe okay. Louis, but we just don't know. Louis's even too risky for me right now. Yeah. A lot of it's going to come down, like you said, to construction. I like a little bit of Corey Connors, I think. If I mentioned that I, I really think this thing's going to play into an approach and ball striking approach. Um, I know that he he burned a few people and still finished relatively well uh, a few weeks ago. So we'll see kind of where that lands. I'm going to pull up the 7K range here now. And the guy at the very top, right? Just at like the very top of the 8K range. Playing great, consistent golf. Plays his best on hard golf courses when when par is a pretty good score also is he really going to get his first win at a major championship right. let's talk maddie fitz what do you think there yeah I, i've been really high on maddie fitz i've gosh it feels like in this calendar year 2022 but he, he hasn't broke through he's had good results and he kind of has played better than his finishes I, I do get a little worried about the length of the course for him but he actually does pretty decently on uh with with his long irons and so yeah um he's actually putting has not been at Maddie Fitz's kind of level, but I, I love this range. This is my favorite late range. And when I first saw that Gooch came out at 7,400, I, I loved it. I'm bummed that he's not playing so well this week because I want his ownership to be very, very inflative. I want the Gooch chalk, not that I want to play him, but it would just would have been the easiest fade to draw a red red line through and so when he came out this is again before the tournament started when he came out at 7400 i said great gooch is going to be 22 25 owned not playing that well this week so that may kind of come down but i still think we'll garner some some ownership but who i just do you love go to the, there like who was your initial thought of if i'm not going to play gooch and everyone's playing gooch who do you switch to yeah i, I switched to russ russell henley who Okay. I, we know what Russ Russell Henley is. He will still garner some ownership. Again, kind of struggles off the tee, but the last 24 rounds, the the Henster ranks third on approach, seventh in opportunities gain, and 11th in ball striking. Russell Henley as a putter is just a is such an oddity. When he first came on tour, he was kind of labeled a great putter, and he's actually putted better this this year. But he goes through some stretches where he just loses it, like uh, in the fall swing where he. Lost four in a row, strokes game putting, and four straight events. But not only did he lose strokes putting, he lost 6.1, 5.1, and you know, multiple double digits. It's just kind of so strange. And so he's coming in, playing a lot better than the result results. Last week, 3.7 on approach, 4.8 tee to green, but 2.7 he lost putting. That if you could, we saw we saw Russell Henley kind of contend at the U.S. Open at Tory. Uh, at, at he's right there at similar price at 7,200. So. I really, really like Russell Henley. He probably will be um, somewhat highly owned, but not of what Gooch likely will be. So he's the guy I, I kind of pivot to. But there's there's a lot of guys in this range I want to pivot to. But before that, what do you think of Henley? And are there any other guys in the higher 7K range that you're really leaning on? Yeah, I don't really have a take on Henley. I worry about, um, similar to what you said uh, about Taylor Gooch and, and Fitz is is the length for Henley. Now, I know length isn't necessarily a defense, but if it plays 7,500-plus yards at a par 70, that's a big deal in terms of the clubs you're coming yeah. in with on relatively small greens. Um, I look – see, here's this, this is why I like to have you on, Rob, because I look at the obvious things that stick out to me in terms of guys I see with my eyes playing well, and Cam Young sticks right off the page to me. Is everyone yeah. going to play Cam Young? He's been fantastic. 
He's great with the driver. He's good on approach. He's a good putter. Just seems like a great young player and a ton of upside, I feel like, in DraftKings here at 7,600. But is asking him to, to, to essentially top 10, top 12 at a major too high of an ask for him in his first year on tour? Yeah, and so I, I'm not playing Cam Young because I think he is going to be very, very, very popular because mm -hmm. I think he, he's at, he was chalk last week, Wells Fargo, but it worked out. I mean, T2. Played well at the RBC, which is a course you wouldn't think would would you know yeah. suit Cam Young. It's and so people I think kind of will remember that. Gosh, Cam Young, and they might associate him to safety. Like Cam Young chalk is, is good chalk, and similar to what you articulated about Scotty, that hey, so much can kind of go wrong within a golf tournament or just kind of with within a golfer is that it's hard to bite and take on the the likely ownership that Cam Young will carry. And then again, we speak of leverage, the leverage that it can create for possible pivot plays for the guys around him. We have Fleetwood who I'm not advocating to play him, but that's interesting. I much would rather prefer a play maybe kind of a low owned Adam Scott. If he doesn't have a good week this week, um, he might come in under, under 10%. And this kind of might be an, like an Adam Scott kind of course. So, yeah, I just similar to your rationale with Scotty, I might make that same rationale with Cam Young and because I'm yeah. envisioning he's going to be highly owned. But again, if if he's 10 percent, yeah, give me all the Cam Young. But it's just too uh, too juicy to pass up if he is near 20 percent owned. Here's a sneaky one. Um, I think it'll be sneaky. You tell me that I'm going to play. And I don't think many people are. And there's not much reason to. But I just have a feeling. Patrick Reed's 7,200. Yeah. Yeah. Is that terrible? Am I way off base there? Or are you thinking the same thing? No, I, I think if, if this is going to play like what you brought up with that, that the, uh, the senior PGA and it was eight under in 2007, it was eight under and the, uh, they, they wanted to play difficult where we got a, we got a grinder right there. And I, I kind of think I saw on Twitter after uh, Justine complained that Tiger was getting special treatment. Reed was out there with, uh, you know, with, with the staff at Southern Southern Hills getting some work oh, yeah. in. So he's getting the inside information out, too. I, I like that play. Um, I, and I have no idea what Reed's ownership number might be. Um, I don't even, I don't think it's going to be crazy, uh, but I, I do. I'm with you. I like Reed a lot this week. Yeah, I think the short game is really going to be huge. And I think mm -hmm. that Augusta is actually a fairly good comparison to this in terms of what mm -hmm. you're going to need to do with your hands and your creativity around the greens. I still like him there. I know that he's streaky with the putter. I know that he's wild off the tee, but they also, in part of the, the renovation, really opened this thing up to kind of restore it back to the original designs and took some of the pockets of trees away that you saw at the the last time this hosted in 2007. They open this thing up a little bit off the tee, which of course favors a wild and loose Patrick Reed. The majority of the front nine all heavily favors a guy who can hit a draw. And what you see with a lot of these, the new age PGA Tour players, is they all play a cut, right? They all play this yeah. big power cut. And if you can really take what is already wide fairways and if you play a draw you can even widen your landing area a little bit further and get that run out properly i just see an avenue where i think he's sneaky and i think that he's probably like five percent owned and i think he could play well i love it I, yeah i really do love that 
All right, I'm going to pull up sort of the bottom of the barrel here. And you mentioned that we get a lot of um, what's nice is you can actually get a lot of additional guys um, down in this range that you don't normally see priced at 6K. Um, before I get you out of here, let me get get like one or two guys that you, you may like and you're going to pay attention to the ownership on, but you got your eye on in this low 6K range. Yeah, so I'll tell you a guy that I'm actually played um... – pretty well very well it was the year i can't i'm kind of blanking now but when jason day and jordan spieth had that showdown um he, he was in contention Chambers? for a while and yeah, yeah i think it was and and so that's matt jones was was right and i like matt oh. jones again matt matt jones is the the definition of a gpp play every week you should never play him as chalk because he'll he'll kind of finish second at the valero and then go 59th and miss cut but yeah. uh, what, what we know about Matt Jones is he's exceptional around the green. He, he's one of the best on tour. He's been one of the best over the last five and 10 rounds. What we also know is he struggles on approach and is a very streaky putter, but he's also good in the wind. And so we're in Oklahoma, uh, you know, likely going to going to carry some, some, you know, some windy conditions. But really, he's he's such a great GPP because of how streaky he is, where at any point, he can has that top five upside. Now, he also has the miscut floor at, at any point, too. So it's very risky. But when you get risky, you usually get um, low ownership e e each week. And so I, I actually like just the um, high ceiling, low floor opportunity on, on Matt Jones. So I I'm really like him. I am kind of biased to Dylan Fratelli. We'll see how he kind of does this, this week. Um, you know, kind of re really, really high on him. And if I had to name just kind of one guy really at, at the bottom of the barrel, that would be kind of Lanto. Lanto's been playing really, really well. Two kind of uh, great weeks. We'll see what he does this week at the Byron Nelson. But at 6,300 with a guy, again, we don't have his full tournament data for the Byron Nelson, but a guy that's trending pretty nicely at 6,300, you know, give me some, give me some Lanto. Uh, what about you in this kind of sickle range? You need some Pepto. It's hard to play some of these guys. What, where are you leaning on? Um, the one guy I would mention, and I actually do like your narrative quite a bit there on Matt Jones. If you're going to play a GPP and you're trying to win a million dollars, you want the roller coaster yeah. finishes, right? You don't care if you mm -hmm. miss a cut, but the opportunity that he finishes sixth in this at what, 60, 6,600 that I just see he was, um, mm -hmm. the upside potential there is great versus having a guy who finishes 36, 45th. He's made five consecutive cuts, but he's not coming inside the top 30. Um, you want the volatility here. One of the guys that I think sort of fits that mold as well, who I who I really like uh, in terms of a potential player long term is is Cameron Davis. So um, yeah. he's one that I kind of have circled. I always play him and he's kind of part of my my brand of players. But I love the aggressiveness that he plays with and a guy that just really goes for it. And what happens when you have a player like that is you're also going to get that roller coaster where he shoots seven over and he misses the cut and he's out of here early and never in contention on Fridays. But if he can kind of get things going early, um, he can still hold his own a little bit. We saw it at Tournament of Champions. We saw it obviously last year uh, when he got that breakthrough victory on the PGA Tour. I just think he's a really talented player. Um, and I like his upside as a young player who maybe comes in a, potentially a little bit overlooked here. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And Usually we're not talking about chalk being, um, you know, around in this 6K range. But this week with how we may construct lineups, because the 6K range is usually not this talented, I think we do 
you need to mention, you know, who might be chalky in this range because people tend to start their lineups from top to bottom, but this way may be a little different where maybe you start with the Scotty or JT or Rom and then go down to Willie Z and then you scroll down and like, okay, who do I want in this six, six, six K range, excuse me. And people love consistency. And so, you know, Sebastian after, uh, you know, this, this week might garner some ownership. And so the, an, an accurate pivot, again, we usually don't talk about that, but an accurate pivot in the 6K range could be vital as well because there's some some popular names that usually garner ownership, like Aaron Wise, and then again, I got Sebastian, Chris Kirk usually garners some ownership. Um, I, you know, if this is not a 6K range, but uh, I'm a big Bezada uh, Newt guy. Uh, he kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of like a poor man's Patrick Reed. He's playing well this weekend, so maybe I'll play him some of him. But point being is just we might have to think of actually pivots in the 6K range, which might be wild. I love it, man. Look, I appreciate you. This is why I love having you on here. You bring up points that I think are are genuine and things that I didn't necessarily think about. Thank you, man. I appreciate you being part of the major report again. That's your DFS sort of first look for Rob. um, We'll catch you next time, buddy. Appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you having me, buddy. Okay, okay. Here's what we're bringing back. The player spotlight segment. I wanted to do it a little bit different this time. I brought two of my pals along and I picked these two guys specifically. One, because I like them. And two, because they've got a great vibe on their show where they kind of like jab and argue with each other a little bit. So I want to bring some of that sense in tonight. Uh, For the player spotlight, we got two players we're going to speak about, but let's bring them up right now from the Sports Gambling Podcast, the Golf Gambling Podcast specifically, but the Sports Gambling Pod Network, Mr. Boston Capper. Mr. Steve Shermer, how you doing, fellas? What's up, brother? Doing well, man. How about yourself? Great. Steve, how's everything? Oh, I'm doing great. I mean, we got the PGA Championship next week. Uh, we're going to move past this uh, birdie fest with the Byron Nelson. So, yeah, I'm ready to talk about a real golf course and uh, break down uh, two guys who definitely can make some noise next week. What's your sense, Steve? Going to play hard? 5'10 under par? Are we looking next week? I, I do. I, I think what's going to trip some of these guys up is the small greens, uh, some of the shaved areas around the greens, too. And I'm not sure if people are really talking about this uh, enough, but um, I think the Bermuda rough is going to trick some of these guys up, too. That's really difficult to hit out of, especially for longer approach shots. Uh, and with firm fairways, it's going to be hard maybe to hold some fairways, too. Balls are going to roll right in. And as my co-host knows, living in Florida... You know, in deep Bermuda, thick, rough, the ball just goes to the right to the bottom. So I think it's going to be pretty demanding off the tee. I think around the green game is going to be very difficult. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it, Southern Hills will definitely provide a stiff test for these guys. Capper, Bermuda's weird, right? Oh, dude, it's so bad, man. You live down here, bro. It's the worst. Like, it it's doesn't so- have to be like – the rough doesn't have to be like like northeast – five six inch rough to like no. screw with you like it can be nope. two three inch rough and it's all how the ball's sitting and yeah you're like oh three. i'm just i'm just off the fairway it's fine you get there yeah. you're like oh fuck screw it's <laughs> unpredictable which is like the worst thing for these guys because yeah. these guys have and i heard someone else say it, i don't know who it was but they've worked their entire life and they sit on the driving range for six seven eight hours at a time just trying to make predictable outcomes, right, with their shots. They know exactly how far that six iron is going every time that they hit it within a certain range. And and this type of rough, the type of short grass around the greens where it can potentially run 40 yards back to your feet um, is going to wreak havoc, I think. 
It's going to be amazing. Like, and so, like, I'm not the course guy. Steve's the course guy. But I watched the videos this week. I was very excited about it. I'm stoked about it. So I started watching videos and talked about how they were took away the rough around the greens and changed the ledges. And I feel like these things are going to be so hard to stick. And I can't wait to see these guys around the green. It's going to be It's fun. Awesome. I went deep into the course earlier with Andy, who's actually played it. So uh, this is coming after that. But here's what we're going to do for this one. Capper versus Steve, baby. I'm going to let you each pick a guy. From the top, we've already got him picked out. Steve, I'm going to start with you. Make the case for Rory McIlroy. He's 14-1 to on the odds board, $10,000 even on DraftKings next week. What's Rory's path to winning the PGA Championship? Well, I think it's because historically he's been really good on difficult golf courses, such as I think he's what I think Southern Hill is going to play on. Uh, I mean, some of his best results have been in majors, obviously. He's a great player. Um, his career strokes gain on difficult golf courses is fifth all-time on the PGA Tour. So that's great right there. Uh, he also plays very well, T to green on Bermuda. Uh, he has the fifth highest strokes gain total on Bermuda Fair. You know, basically anything from T to green Bermuda on the PGA Tour. And just look at his recent form. He's gained almost a stroke, two and a half strokes per round over his last 12 rounds. Come off a great finish at the Masters. Uh, he rallied at uh, Potomac in difficult conditions, too. I think he's going to be very ready for everything that's going to be thrown at him at Southern Hills. And I like him a lot this week. He hasn't won a major in a while. Uh, I think he's definitely primed to get another one for the trophy case. Capper, not that you're necessarily anti-Rory, but what's the scenario where he gets tripped up here? Like, where does he struggle, and how could this golf course factor into that? He might not even be a bad DraftKings play. The problem is, is both of the, the Masters, he really wasn't in it. He just chased it down at the end. Same thing, same thing two weeks ago at the Wells. Like, he really wasn't in it. Steve texted me, it, like, all of a sudden, like, oh my God, is he really going to come back and win this thing? It's when the pressure's not on Rory is when he actually performs. And listen, I know the stats are good for Bent because he putts so well in Augusta. I feel like that's because he knows it. I know he putted well last week, but prototypically he putts much better on Pella. Um, and if we're going to have anything with a wedge in his hand, like, no, thank you. I'll, I'll pass on Rory for the outright bet. I, he might be an okay draft today because he backdoors these top tens. He's becoming Rom-esque uh, with just all of a sudden showing up on Sunday and and birdieing everything while everybody else is powering everything. So, I mean, I, I I don't know, man. Rory's not for me. I don't feel like he – I don't think he has that killer instinct anymore. I just don't. like. And the fact that he celebrated so much just getting second, I know that was like a monkey off his back at the Masters, but that's not what I want out of my guy. You know what I mean? I want I want a killer. I want somebody who stalks and murders guys in front of him. And they can feel him coming up from behind, and I don't feel like that's Rory anymore. Steve, combat that for me real quick. One, the killer instinct. And two, because I – I'm not a real big stat guy, but I see the same thing oftentimes that Capper sees. And I don't know if this plays out necessarily in the stats or it's just I see a couple of bad shots. But 150 yards, I see him struggle a lot. I see him airmail greens. I see him come up short. It just doesn't seem like he's real comfortable when he has to slow his arms down and have that sort of Justin Thomas finesse ability to his game. And Maybe the killer instinct is a little worn coming later into his career. You have a defense for either one of those two things? I mean, the killer instinct thing is definitely something I'm concerned with. Um, okay. I, I think he's getting to a point in his career where, you know, he's on the player advisory board. He did some <laughs> stuff with Carson Daly. You know, I, th there's some things going on that Carson might not be Roy's priority. Yeah, it was that, what was it, the Golf Now thing? Like that media project Yeah, it's did? like a subscription thing, yeah. Right. Carson yeah. Daly does Golf Now? 
Oh God, yes, he does. Does he really? Unfortunately, <laughs> he's a so podcaster I, just like us, dude. Yes. <laughs> so yes, I think the killer instinct thing is something that is concerning, but none of us have psychiatry degrees and yep. none of us are really in his head. We're just taking guesses from behind a keyboard and what we see, uh, you know, the wedge thing, you know, the short iron thing is a concern. I think my, com how I would come back from that is just because the greens are going to be firm and smaller. I think there's going to be a high miss green percentage anyways. Mm -hmm. So chances are you might not lose as much to the field doing that. And he's a great scramble around the green, especially on some of these tight surfaces. I mean, we, we, we make a lot of these comps to, you know, the areas around the green are similar to Augusta National, you know, similar green complexes, similar, you know, uh, shaved areas too. And he's been very adept at doing that. So I think he's going to be very comfortable, you know, if he misses a green, well, most of the field is going to be doing that. And he's been pretty good getting up and down from those spots too. So I'm not as concerned. I think where that comes into play where he's deficient is where, Guys are just hitting greens. Guys are targeting, you know, flags and stuff. And, you know, he puts himself 20 feet instead of 15. And I, I think that's actually going to be okay. And that's not going to be as big of an issue because of how difficult I think some of these approach shots may be. I've seen some stuff course setup wise that initially leads me to believe that um, hitting a big high draw off the tee is going to be very advantageous around Southern Hills, particularly on that front nine and getting off to a hot start. And we know Rory, when he gets that little bit of bounce in his step, the majority of the other guys at the top of the board in this new generation player seem to primarily play that fade off the tee. Rory still hits that big high draw as good as anybody. If he can get going early, do you think, that, like, are you looking for him to jump in, out of the gates fast? Or do you think he can kind of uh, backdoor his way Saturday, Sunday into the, into the final pairing? I, I think it's more going to be a backdoor thing for him. Okay. Uh, I, I think as the weekend goes on and kind of the pretenders fade away, I think a guy like Rory is going to be able to figure out this golf course, rise up the leaderboard. And you know what? You just put yourself in the mix, especially at Southern Hills where some things can maybe go wrong. We saw it back in what, 2002, I think. You had Retief Goose in three putt. You had Stuart Sink miss a two and a half footer. You know, you never know with some of these slick greens. Someone's going to three putt and then maybe if winds up in a playoff, you never know. I, I think, you know, similar to how he's been doing lately, just kind of grinding things out and rising, you know, letting himself rise up to the leaderboard. I think he's going to be in a position and you put yourself in enough positions at these majors, eventually you're going to find some good luck. Does yeah. the putt worry you at all, though? He's been putting pretty well this year, so I know I don't. I don't really think so. I know, man. I feel like it's more of an aberration than anything else, though. Like streaky. I yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I, you really trust him when it's like a seven footer for par? I mean, I think it's gonna be very difficult for everybody for seven feet from par this week. Don't don't avoid the question. The question was, you trust him like on like a five to seven footer for par? Five it's foot. not one of the things I trust the most out of him. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah. Like he worries the shit out of me when I have money on him when it's five feet away, and he goes goes like this all the time. Oh. Ugh. left right whatever i know a guy i think you can trust though and i think you trust him capper here's your guy 22 ish to one right now ninety one hundred dollars on DraftKings. i think every amateur <laughs> guy who pops into a, a millimaker maker for once every once a month is going to play him and click him patrick Cantley. he's got a lot of the things that you mentioned that you're you're you know you put his deficits on roy the killer instinct the ability yep. to hit a five foot putt make the case for patrick Cantley. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, obviously, it's narrative street with the killer instinct. But as somebody who's been yeah. murdered by Cantlay when I don't have money on him, uh, Lowry uh, a couple weeks ago at the Heritage, um, he, I know Spieth ended up winning, but 
like I just knew like Lowry wasn't going to hold on. I'm pretty sure he took uh, mine and Steve's lunch uh, when he beat was who beat JT and Rom right when he came back and that won the, and uh, and Bryson at the BMW <laughs> and Bryson at the BMW. Like that is a guy who when I don't have money on him or if he's not in my lineup, I'm terrified of him, especially if he's two or three shots behind. The guy is a robot. Like it, it's the same swing. He's he's so dead calm to everything. He looked great at the team event. I know nobody gives a shit about the team event, but he looked great. Like that that uh, that probably five wood for him uh, that he hit to give Xander like a ten foot eagle shot. Like the guy is just good, and he wins all of his tournaments. I think all of them. If it's not all of them, it's most of them on bent grass. The guy's a machine bent uh, putting on bent grass. He's long off the box. He's accurate off the box, and because his major record's so spotty. Like he probably feels like he has something to prove. I mean, he well, he came in teeth. He came in third in 2019, and that's his best finish at a major. He had another top ten at the Masters back in 2019. But since then, it's been what one, two top twenties since 2020. And this is a guy who just uh, got Player of the Year. Um, had a fake win when Ron had to drop out. I'm on record as saying that. Um, but he still he still went out and won. He still went out and won the trophy, man. Like he still went out and did it. And you know, around the green in the last 50 rounds, he's he's ninth. Uh, off the tee, he's 10th. Tee to green, he's fourth. On bent grad, he's fourth. Like in the last 24th round or last 24 rounds of bent, he's second. And that includes the disaster at the players, right? Not the bent grass, but everything else, right? Where yeah. he got the bad wave and he got smoked. And he's still top 10 in all the categories I give a shit about this week. And yeah, I mean, I feel like he really does have something to prove out there. And especially if he's going to play hard and fast. I want a guy who's mentally tough, not going to break down, and will just stay nice and even keeled throughout the whole tournament. Steve, if we're talking narrative street, he's kind of sucked in majors. Why is that? Well, I think it's because I think he struggled in some of these difficult conditions. I mean, listen, we can play armchair psychiatry on this stuff, but the proof is in the pudding as far as when he gets to golf courses where he plays over a stroke per round, like over par, hmm. he hasn't been quite as good as some of his competition. Uh, in those situations, he's only 41st in the PGA Tour as far as total strokes gained per round in those situations. I mean, there are examples I can point to. Beth Page Black, that was a difficult golfer who's finished T3. Uh, Olympia Fields at the BMW, I think he was T12. Uh, other than that, though, you know, his two masters that he played very well in, there was the T17 that was the COVID year that everybody tore up. There was mm -hmm. the top 10 in 2019, the Tiger one, but that was a low-scoring tournament. His other two, his last two masters actually have not gone very well for him. And actually, he's been on the greens. And funny enough, you say yeah. that he's a very good bunt grass putter. He lost almost eight strokes putting in the 2021 Masters, lost 1.3 strokes per round on those greens too. So, you know, maybe if we're comparing this, the Southern Hills greens to be a little bit smaller version of the Augusta National ones, maybe that's going to give him trouble. But I think for me, I, what really concerns me is we always talk about, always oh, so great on bent grass, always oh, so great on bent grass. Well, he has to actually get to the bent grass green. And in between all of that, is a lot of Bermuda, and it's always bugged me why he has never really played a lot of Bermuda. He only has 36 rounds on true Bermuda golf courses tee to green, and he's had opportunities to play them, and he just hasn't, and he's been very bad in those. So he's only gained about 0.4 strokes per round on true Bermuda greens total. Now you can make the argument, okay, maybe it's just because he hasn't put all that well. But if you look at his tee to green numbers, he's only gained 0.1. Ball striking, point one. You know, we always talk about that we want to match guys to greens. Maybe we should start matching some of these guys to actually how they hit their irons off this stuff because he's very used to and very good hitting off of northern strains of grass. Hitting off for Bermuda has not grown great for him. So I have my concerns 
that while, yes, he's been very good putting on bentgrass greens. Maybe he's only putting for par from 20 feet. Maybe hitting out of that Bermuda rough is going to give him trouble. Maybe chipping off the Bermuda is going to give him issues too. You know, it just, he hasn't really done it yet as far as either playing well in Bermuda, playing a lot on Bermuda, and he hasn't done very well in majors other than a couple instances. That's enough for me to, you know, maybe push the brakes a little bit. Sure, maybe we can get a top 20, top 25 finish, but, you know, I mean, he just hasn't really done it yet. And there's some major concerns I have that prevents me from going all in on like an outright or something. What's his biggest asset, Capper? Would you say like it's, his his, it's, his, it's his irons, man? I mean, he is he's a he's a stud with his irons, and they're coming back into form. And he after he after he went on that tear he went on last year, uh, you know, he, I don't know what he was doing. I was drinking too much tequila. We saw the pictures of him and the girls, and I know you know. I mean, he went on the tear, and I mean, his irons are money, and they're coming. I mean, he gained eight point seven strokes on approach at the RBC Heritage, right? When he lost around the green, when typically he's gaining over a stroke on the field around the green. And I know it's different surfaces and things like that, but listen, I just think that he is rounding into form in the right shape. He's a great iron player, and and look, <laughs> Steve might have a point, right? you got to get to the grass greens to, to make it worth a shit to putt on him, but I think he's typically good enough around the greens where if he misses it, he'll be able to chip on, and, and he's going to putt well. He's somebody who I trust from like 10 feet. Right, putting on putting on the surface, and are they going to be as undulating as Augusta, Steve? I mean, they had some undulation to it. They're going to be very slick too. So yeah, yeah they're, they're definitely Gil Hans brought some more of. He, he restored the greens as far as like bringing in some of those undulations that maybe got lost in the sands of time. So yeah, they're they're going to be very difficult to putt on. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 go ahead. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, I was going to ask you, Steve. I think that um, one of the other things he did was. Um, sort of reshaped and added some additional bunker complexes to sort of protect the greens. And a lot of those runoffs that you spoke about earlier that had kind of been built up over time, now balls are going to kind of trickle off the green and into those bunkers. So Cantlay for like two, three years ago for me, I was like, he's terrible out of the bunkers. It was his clear like weakness. Then he got much, much better. And then kind of I, I, I was watching because I had a speed ticket down the stretch there at the Heritage. He had some bad bunker shots, and particularly in the playoff, a little bit of a bad lie there. But um, do some of those old demons maybe creep back in? And is that a concern for you on this type of course for Cantlay? I mean, possibly. I mean, I haven't done my digging as far as his bunker play yet to make that determination. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll take your word for it if that's been an issue for him the last couple weeks. I do know that looking at the stats, he has trended down around the green last in his last two tournaments. At the Masters, he lost strokes. At Heritage, he lost strokes probably because of the bunker play. Yeah, if, if that is actually an issue for him, because I, I around the green game, similar to what I handicapped at the Masters is going to be very important for me when I take a look at these guys. If that's trending down, then yeah, I, I, that's another big red flag for Cantlay. Yeah. I mean, he only lost a half a stroke around the okay. at the RBC, right? And and whatever about the Masters, right? And he he gained almost two strokes at the players, right? So that's that's Bermuda Tita Green. He gained almost three at the Genesis. And I, you're right. I wish he played the Florida swing more for whatever reason. You know, he doesn't like it. Just like you know, just like certain guys don't like to play the West Coast. And hopefully it doesn't come back to bite me. I'm just betting on the talent. And, yeah, I'll, I'll be betting him outright. I'll probably avoid him in DraftKings because what do you think he's going to push? Like, what, at least 25%? That's of what price, I was going right? to ask you. Like, um, is is there a point where, where you'll bet a guy and you really like his chances of winning? But then fade him in DraftKings because, to me, like, as someone who doesn't play 150 lineups, someone that puts five or six in, I've never fully – 
bought onto the narrative, especially at the top, right? Down at the bottom, 7K range, I'm willing to sort of pivot because it's a little less known. But if I think the guy's going to win the tournament and I like him and I'm willing to put my money down on him 22 to 1, I'm going to probably take him 9,100. Is that like not a good move or what's your what's your take on that so i so listen i, I used to agree with you on that and i don't okay. know if andy, i don't know if andy's finally flipped me on it but i'm <laughs> more cognizant or cognizant of ownership now at the top right just from a game theory standpoint if you are putting in that many lineups right mm -hmm. like i mean it's worth a shot if you can wipe out 30 percent of the field in one shot right yeah. so but yeah i mean look I, I mean i'm never gonna not have zero exposure to somebody i think is going to win but the problem with that is, okay, so if the guy's 30% owned and I don't want to match that 30% for the chalk, what's 10% really going to give me? Anything? You know what I mean? So, and I understand, and I understand it, and it, it's tough for me, too. And, like, I just started doing it, being able to chop it out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we had this conversation, like, a month and a half, two months ago. Um, yeah. And I've and I've flipped on it. And I, I don't know. We'll see how it works. It's still very difficult for me where I'm like, but I think he's going to win. But it's a different game, right? And I think Andy explained that to me very well where I, it's like it's just a different game you're not playing the books you're playing other players right so if so so if Cantlay wins right and he's 9100 I don't have it up in front of me right now but the guy below him at 9000 at 12% ownership comes in fifth you're still fine you know what I mean you were able mm -hmm. to you were able to differentiate somewhere else down the board and all that all that other stuff so. Steve you on the same boat there yeah I mean unfortunately I'm kind of do as I say not as I do because I mean I understand that logically, if I have a very strong feeling about a guy, I shouldn't care if he's 25%, but I know I do that all the time as far as, oh, well, you know, it's 25%, you know, I have the outright, like, I'm not going to play that. And, you know, I, I think, you know, as long as you differentiate your lineup down the card, you just need a unique lineup. And you just, if you have a guy who's 20 plus percent, there are ways you can do it to still differentiate, still cash big in the GPP. You just got to be cognizant that, yeah, like, you know, I can't have, go can't lay and then I can't go, I don't know, Speed, Fitzpatrick, like a bunch of like other like sexy names in the seven K range. Fitzpatrick yeah. has never been sexy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, pretty high ownership at Potomac. So gross. I hate. I hate Fitzpatrick. I know you do. What do you guys have playing next week? Uh, what do you guys got going for the for the PGA? You got any contests? You got any special shows? Any guests? Uh, you want to you want to tout to the people? Yeah, we, I mean, we got a. Uh, we're gonna have Andy Lack on on Monday night uh, yeah. for a DFS show. Uh, we are going to have Pamela Maldonado of Yahoo Sports on Tuesday to over a betting show. Uh, we probably have maybe a contest for uh, some of our listeners on Twitter, kind of like what we did at the Masters too. Uh, we always like getting our audience engaged and uh, you know, you know, get riled up for uh, the majors to get as enthusiastic as we get for it. So yeah, you know, definitely check out our stuff at Golf Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network next week. Uh, I'll have my preview column up uh, by the time this is up. You'll it'll already be there. We'll have Boston Capper's picks. Uh, we'll have uh, Brian Kirshner's DFS picks as well. We'll have you plenty covered for the PJ Championship for all your betting needs. You guys are awesome. At Boston Capper on Twitter, Steve is still the brave soul who remains Twitterless. I appreciate you guys joining me here on the Major Report. Best of luck next week, fellas. Best of luck, guys, Joe. Right, thank you. All right. That's going to do it for tonight. I hope this gave you a good little a little prep work, right? A little bit of uh, cliff notes heading into the weekend here uh, as we wind things down. Part two will be back. The guest list is once again stacked. Andy Lack, full course preview. Rick Gaiman, Pat Perry, and uh, Jason Rouseland is going to talk to us a little bit about DFS some more. 
Hope to see you then. Give this a like or subscribe on the way out. Podcast audio version will be up shortly with the timestamps in case you want to go back and check out any individual segments. Thank you again for checking out the Major Report. See you later.